Welcome, Wanderer, to the telling of Alun's legacy. When we started this homebrew campaign, we didn't know yet that we would make a podcast. The beginning of this story was unfortunately lost. Instead of starting on chapter one, we will have to pick up the story at around chapter three. We have prepared introduction to each character with their motivation and their understanding of the task ahead. Plunging headfirst into a new story can be a little bit complicated, especially if you don't have the first chapters. So what I'm doing here is having John read you the creation story called How Amber Came to Be. It's going to explain to you a bit the creation myth of this land and also give you an idea who Alun is, the namesake of this game, and also the god of all who thread on Amber. Long before the creation of Amber, the trickster Alun lived with the other beings in the peaceful Grand City in the Outer Plains. The fox god was mischievous in nature and perturbed the great calm. The other beings were hopping mad at his daring enterprises, so they banded together and cast down the trickster into the material plane. The fox god landed in the middle of the world, cut from the outer plains forever. Not sure of what he should do, he started walking. He explored his new prison with a lot of interest. He went through valleys, mountains, rivers, and deserts. He walked for a long time without stopping. He eventually encountered the healer god, Tunor. Tunor had suffered the same fate as Alun aeons before. The crow god traveled with Alun to the mountains where he lived. He revealed to his new friend his civilization. With the few powers he still had, he created Babylon. Under his watchful eyes, the Babylonians were living peacefully in a city hidden in the spine of the world mountain chain. Inspired by Tunor, Alun returned to where he had arrived. It was a large piece of land that was bordered by the sea to the west and the east. The earth was rich, with large forests to the south and an unpredictable desert to the north. Alun chose this place to create Amber. Alun created the humans first. He then entertained himself with variations in their appearance. In the eyes of all, he lighted a playful and intelligent fire. Alun taught his people to love learning and experimenting. Never did he interfere with the researchers for the answers to the universe. The Embers were talented students. Alun loved his people, and they also loved their god. During the Equilibrium Era, the Embers learned writing and reading, agriculture and farming, construction and navigation. Babylon and Ember became allied nations and established trading routes. Both were fast-growing, and the gods were happy. Then another was cast out. Nuada. Nuada the wolf god met with Alun, and as Tunor had shown his work when he first arrived, he showed Nuada his people. Nuada was impressed, and wandered off to start working on his own nation. He walked north, near the Sinan Desert, but this way, the earth was barren, as far as the eye could see. No mountains, no tender fields, no forests, and no clear rivers. Resentment grew in Nuwada's heart. He thought he had been fooled by a loon and Tunar. In the middle of a cracked desert, Nuwada started digging. He carved out of the earth long hallways and caverns, a complex system of galleries. He created his people in secret, shielded from the sun. Corinth was forged by a hard hand. The wolf god rewarded strength and cruelty above anything else. 
the Corinthians, pushed by their god to always prove themselves in battle, discover the secrets of metals and fire. Once Nuwada decided his people were strong enough, he sent his armies against Amber. The first assaults were terrible. Nuwada obscured the sun to shield his armies while they tore through the countryside. Alun had spent most of his powers to create a beautiful civilization, and was by that time weakened. He could not stop the wolf god. Alun fled into the mountains and pleaded with Tenora for his help. The crow god was saddened by the fate of Amber, but could not leave Babylon or risk his own people. However, he made a promise to Alun. He would stop time for exactly a year to give his friend time to come up with a plan to repeal Nuwada. It was during this non-year that Alun forged the holy weapon, Aruvento. And now, here's an introduction of all the adventurers. Silas is being played by John, Mugusu is played by Sam, Bayek is played by Sky, Mugly is played by Matt, and finally Cricket chirping on a twisting river is played by Cam. Silas is an ASMR of average height and weight. He's around 5'10". And the unique thing about Azamar in Alun is that they are all born with silver hair and golden eyes. They are a race that can be born to any family. And it is normally seen as a sign that they are meant for greater things. For Silas specifically, he never really found a calling or a destiny, but he always found himself fearing that it would that it was constantly looming over him because growing up as an Azamar in such a small village, he was almost idolized to the point where he was constantly sick of it. That is why he decided instead of searching for the his destiny he decided to forge his own path instead and become a bard. He's a he's not a bard in the sense that Cricket is, but a bard in the sense that he plays an instrument and performs. He was inspired by another bard who came through his town, who goes by the moniker of Floating Flower, who gifted him an instrument, a fiddle. He's treasured it ever since, and looking to travel around not just to find what he's looking for, but also to possibly cross paths with her again. He plays the fiddle as well as tap dances, but he enhances this by his uh, storm sorcerer nature and amplifies the sounds of both. He's been, he's been given the moniker Lord of the Thunderstep because of his proficiency with the fiddle and tap dancing. After a, an argument with his father, he went into a cave by the by Thunderflask Bay. He took his instrument with him, the fiddle he was bestowed. He was simply playing when a storm rolled in. And as he just kept playing, a spark of inspiration flowed into him and he kept dancing and playing. 
sparks seemed to fly from his fingertips and raindrops fell in almost a perfect rhythm with his playing, creating a symphony of the storm. When he set his fiddle down, his fingers were still sparking with white and blue energy. He put both hands together and a small bolt of lightning formed and he threw it out and once it made contact with the cloud, it created a lightning strike. And he was it made him wonder what was the cause of it. That was when he remembered that Fox's Bay was where Aloon fell to his death. And that was what started his journey looking into Aloon and made some clues as to why he may be an Azamar or why his powers manifested when they did. Mugusu Awak is in Dragonborn years middle-aged, although unfortunately due to a curse bestowed upon him by an enemy, he now appears to be a very elderly Dragonborn. His previously bronze scales are now worn and weathered, and you can barely tell that he used to be bronze at this point. He is a very gruff human due to experience, but that experience has given him wisdom on when to be kind and when to act. As a city guard, he always found himself taking some sort of security from worshipping Alun and found that in his times where he needed guidance and support, the church was always there. He doesn't necessarily believe what every person in the church also believes because it's it's faith. Everyone can interpret something differently, but as a paladin, he has to prove Alun not only to himself, but to everyone around him on a continual basis. Even if he isn't preaching Alun, people still look to him to be that guidance, which is why I found it very appealing to make him an older character, because he isn't just saying things blindly, but he's saying things from experience, from a sense of logic and understanding, and from a point of religion, where it it actually makes the point hit home harder. Uh, he made his way to Tessalon because of the dreams that he was having, of Corinthians making their way not just over, but through the walls that's been protecting their country for so long. If this really is true, there is something beyond our comprehension that is absolutely wrong. So he made his way to Tessalon to try and speak to the Holoxims and either gain or give wisdom onto what could be happening. And to see that the city came under attack, the glass bridge was completely shattered with no way of getting to them. He almost completely lost hope. But after hearing that Oleksim Menuo was still out and about, he had to pursue it. Back as a, as a gift, I am not differentiating between Githyanki and Githurzai because uh, uh, we kind of established that all the gith kind of almost wiped themselves out and uh, now are just gith. Uh, he has the, the greenish-yellow skin of a gith, but all silver hair due to his use of god magic and his pursuit of it. Uh, his and, and divisions too. Uh, uh, his hair has turned silver. He has a mask, um, but he isn't trying to hide his face. It's just a big part of his culture to have a mask. 
and uh, they, and many of them consider your mask like your second face, and every Gith has its own personal mask, and it's it's it really is like having a second face. So while he's not trying to hide his face, he and he'll often take his mask off, like when it's uncomfortable or when he wants to take a breather or something. One of uh, uh, one of the phrases, uh, it, like a, a saying that the Gith have, is uh, um, "Don't buy, don't own anything you like if you're expecting a child." And it's a reference to to the fact that all all Gith are born with the ability to manipulate the the world space around them without touching it. And so a baby has that uh, the equivalent of magic hand, but has that 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 ability just from birth. And it and because they're a, they're a baby and a child and don't really know better, they often destroy things around them. Um, and so with 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 it being so casual and so worked into their society to have this ability, um, God magic is is essentially like running to us to him. You know, it's it's another thing that his people do, and the rest of the world can't do it innately. They all have to learn how to do it. And so there's there's a bit of that um, that mentality when he's talking to other people about it. So Bayek has a, a little bit of a complicated uh, uh, backstory. He was uh, kidnapped by a lich and experimented on. The experiments resulted in him being kind of a living phylactery for the lich. And uh, but uh, the big thing with that is that he got kidnapped and taken to another plane, uh, the Umbrafell. During the course there, uh, the the experiments and magic that were uh, used on him ended up giving him complete amnesia of, of home. Um, well, not not complete amnesia. He still remembers like his culture and stuff like that, but he doesn't remember where it was. He doesn't remember his family. Um, there's there's it's really enough there so that he, it's like the the lich went in there and removed everything that could help him get away, but let him keep everything that made his personality. Uh, Mowgli comes from the town of Kizil Cha, uh, a humble town bordering the desert. From his teenage years, Mowgli trained to protect his community and eventually became part of the town's watch. The unique aspect of Kizil Cha is that it has a heavy chocobo population in the neighboring desert, and the town's watch in particular are known as the Chocobo Riders. His family, in fact, are chocobo breeders in the region. Mowgli has heard tales of famed knights called Paladin, or the most powerful and most respected knights in the land. Mowgli has traveled from his village to pursue this tale and to find if he has what it takes to defend his friends and neighbors with the visage of a paladin. So Mowgli is a... Um, he's like the big brother of everyone, which is ironic given his halfling stature. He considers himself to be incredibly strong and whenever he gets the chance he likes to show that off he likes drinking he likes uh vices surprisingly given the fact that he's a, a city guard uh he's a pacifist so um that really leans into his whole protect others um and given his harsh upbringing near the desert um he really only finds it okay to be aggressive towards monsters who don't understand what they're doing but he tries to empathize with um, all intelligent creatures to understand where they're coming from. He, he recently learned how to fish. He finds uh, water incredibly beautiful. And whenever the chance he gets, he likes to fish. And uh, he finds it quite relaxing. Or he, he wasn't raised um, religious in any way. Um, the stories of Elune 
were much like any other kind of fairy tale uh, in the village because it was such a small village and harsh environments. Having faith in something that might help if you believe hard enough. He's interested in the concept, but it's not something that he was he's ever really had to experience or, or was taught to believe in himself. Ah, Cricket, you say. Cricket is not exactly tall, but he's an average-sized tabaxi, around five foot five. A little lithe, not quite scrawny, and with these tall, pointy ears, kind of lynx-like, that are always almost on guard, on the watch. They're always looking for something. He has these fiery red-orange eyes that just seem to hide this inquisitive nature, barely. Cricket's garb on a regular day are these loosely fitting cloth clothes that are a mixture of red and white. They hang loosely, but they are taut with bindings around the wrists and elbows to keep them from flailing out or flapping away or making noise, because every now and then he needs to be sneaky. They are quite vibrant in nature and very flowy as well. As you get down, there's a red tunic slash tabard that extends downwards toward and just covering some leather pants and greaves which he does wear leather underneath as well and he keeps his feet bare gotta keep those claws exposed gotta be ready but he enjoys playing with the world he enjoys experiencing it going from here to there bouncing up and down climbing everywhere nothing can stop the cricket from getting to where he needs to be he does house an indefinite fury. Something within him drives him further than just the curiosity as well. He enjoys reactions. Being with people, seeing what they do of situations. He believes that Alun existed, but he also views Alun as fallible. Um, yeah, other than that, I guess the only thing else I should say is Cricket is a Bard! <laughs> a band or a bard? Oh, no, yeah, he's a band! <laughs> Cricket is a band! He also... Oh, man, he's a Kutraman! Okay, so on top of all the crap, like all the stuff he's wearing, he has a drum attached to his back that he can use with his tail. He has a lute, and he's got a, a pan flute! He's got a pan flute that'll pop out on the little, like, stand thing. So he can play all of them, and just in case he really needs to, he's also got spoons. <laughs> he knows how to play all of them at the same time. Just gotta clack them all together, pound, pound, pound. And then he always knows how to jam out with his buddy Silas. Well, where do I start here? Oh, the dreams. Yes, yes, yes. Very often, well, more often than not, I've been having these... These dreams, Golden Fox, never quite knew until, well, looked very familiar, but also not. Looked like a memory that tickles the back of your mind. And turns out that it wasn't just me. Because, uh, when in Tessalon, on my way to the glass bridge, it turns out that several others were going to Michaelis to, because they were having similar visions slash dreams about 
a golden fox. Just as we were getting settled in for the night, rather large booming crash and just several what looked like pillars appeared throughout the city and some rather nasty fiery beasties decided to that they wanted to torch the town. So that was uh, definitely an experience for me. I'm used to helping fend off bandits and the like from the, the Swift Tongue caravans, but this was another beast entirely. After settling that affair, me and the rest of the group eventually met back at the bridge to find that one of those pillars of light had also struck the glass bridge. And well, we figured that we would not be heading to Mikolas for answers anytime soon. I made my way to Tessalon due to some nightmares. The vision of our enemies making their way through our defenses and wreaking havoc upon our lands was concerning enough the first time I saw it. The glass bridge was closed when I arrived in town. So I made my way to a tavern, got myself a room, started to relax, and hell broke loose. Fire rained down from the sky, and our connection to the Holoxims was completely shattered. Thankfully, I found a couple of other adventurers around who were willing to make a journey to find the one Holoxim who wasn't on the island, a man named Menuo. We started to make our way along the road, stopped in Tartide, where Displacer Beasts had been running amok. Helped to save a couple of people there, thankfully. But we made our way to... Uh, to Mar. Now that... that was... a time. Yeah. How we came to this new land, you could say started with Menuo. Rumored to be in Mar. We went searching for him, as he was the only Holoxim not trapped behind the broken bridge between Tessalon and Mikias. When we arrived, Ma, Menuo was not there, but we found two women, Afiriri, a tiefling librarian, in Brave Tale, a tabaxi who knew many things. They told us of planes, other world. Having escaped the Umbrafell, but not the clutch of the lich that inhabited it, I was aware that there were worlds outside of our own. They then told us of a time outside of time, the non-year. This non-year is when alone to travel the planes. In each, he plucked a part of Arubendel. Efiri and Brave Tail pointed us to New Zephari to find Menuo. So we went, and along the way, we found people we should not find. Corinthians. Black elves of the Wolf God fighting the spirits of the woods. So really the the big thing that i recall was getting into old safari was um as nobody else really speaks elf um i kind of had to navigate the discussion getting us in being a, a town's godman myself it was 
uh, good to be kind of on the level with them, um, making them understand that we were here for um, a bit of a pilgrimage, um, trying to hunt down uh, Menuel, uh, the Helixum. Uh, once inside, making contact with him, he kind of gave us the uh, the lowdown of his plan, um, kind of hunting down Arevendil. He wants to get this this thing um, back so that he can uh, protect the land from invaders, which, I mean, I can definitely uh, understand where he's coming from. We found Minuel. Golden rather than silver. Minuel was impressive and wielded what my people called the Allah with an ease I could not see in others. Uh, he put us in contact with Elder Alith, uh, and he gave us um, a little a little present uh, to kind of aid us in our travels. Uh, he called it an Orberator. Um, it kind of helps us find these rips or tears in um, our world. It's often overlooked is the woman behind the man, Mileki. Seems like the little Orbrather was invented by her to help find the tear. Hey, uh, Kirke, you think you forgot that uh, her full name was Mileki Vivkor? But she also had another name. Didn't she not? Mm, some kind of bug, I think. It's not Fireflies. Uh, hmm. Oh, uh, it's that one with the stinger, uh, cricket. Uh, the wasp! That's the one. The wasp. And we look at this object he gave us, and he says, There is a portal nearby. In old Zephari, ruins so soaked in corruption, the dead had risen. Awful creatures had made their way around, and undead were swarming. So partway through, there's this one hallway, and I noticed something. It seemed to be blood on the wall, like a bloody handprint. And it opened to this room that filled with all these beautiful knickknacks. One such stood out. There's a little elemental, and then he pop open, and another elemental there. He go from fire to ice, and he pop open, goes from ice to earth. Then he pop open from earth to wind, and pop open again, and there's a ring inside. A ring with a wasp attached to it. And it's fascinating. It is a marvel to behold. But when you dive into it, you learn that it can dive into other people. It can read their thoughts, or at least the surface emotions. And if you want to pry a little bit deeper, like, I'll say, opening up a little elemental, you might find another layer underneath. And as I look upon its beauty, I see something carved into the metal. There are words. And it reads, From all the graces of my homeland, I chose only your savage heart. Upon reaching the final room, there was a creature here. We had our first intense battle there. Creature summoning other creature through the open portal. Things were coming out of it too, not particularly nice things either. We defeated this horrible creature. The portal consumed itself, disappeared into nothing. And the undead that it was creating remained, but they were aimless, pointless things. 
There's nothing to guide them. Well, that was quite a while ago, though, wasn't it, Cricket? Yes. And it seems like the Orbraither is guiding us again. After that, we started making our way and trying to find more tears. Eventually, we make our way to Warren. And while in Warren, we do many things. But one of the things that stands out, we close in on the temper. And we talk to city captain. We actually became hired by them, which surprised me, because normally, usually you talk to city guard, then you end up in jail, then you break out of jail, and then all of a sudden it's just kind of a whole rigmarole. But we've actually been hired to go into the temple. We hope to find our way in and see what is going on. And maybe pull out some more of those secrets. So, there it is. As much as we can remember, the condensed version of a few months of playing. I hope you were able to understand kind of where the group started and where it's headed. The first episode of Alun's Legacy will be released next week, and I think you should be able to follow along from now on. If you have questions about the world of Amber, feel free to write to us at info at milestonerpg.com and I'm going to take a few questions and try to answer them as best as I can to flesh out this world of Amber. This week, I'll also be posting a few articles on the blog section of our website um, to give you a bit more information about the world of Amber. Thank you for listening and see you next week.